Well, snowing today. Seems like a bad dream, doesn't it? (laughs) Here we are in B.C. This is the reason we live in B.C., so that it doesn't snow when we wake up in March. But today it is. Um, Sometimes we dream. And I'm sure in some of your dreams you know that you're at an event. Maybe it's a wedding ceremony. Maybe it's a graduation ceremony. And you're just having a hard time getting ready for whatever is going to happen. Sometimes in my dreams, a worship service is happening, and I know I'm supposed to preach, and I'm having a hard time finding what I need to get up. And I just stress right out. And then I wake up, oh, it's just a dream. Sometimes preparing for the afterlife is little, a little bit like that. We, we know it's coming. We're not exactly sure how to get ready for it. We want to be ready, but it's in the future, and we just kind of... It feels like a bit of a bad dream, and then we get, you know, stress comes to us, and we, we shake it off, and we just move on. We keep on living. Sometimes preparing for the afterlife feels distant. This fall, Judy and I, we were preparing for our daughter's wedding in Montreal, and if the wedding is almost 4,000 kilometers away, it feels remote. It feels distant. You wonder, well, which venues would be available, and Uh, where will the wedding guests get ready for this wedding? Where will they be housed? How will we find decor? We just don't know the lay of the land in Montreal, and so everything's kind of unknown. It feels remote, and we push it off. On the wedding day, it's actually a mad scramble when you wonder whether it's actually even going to happen. Sometimes preparing for the afterlife can feel like that. We know it's coming, but it's in the future. It's distant. It's in another place. We're not sure how to get ready. Would the scriptures help us? Do the scriptures help us know how to get ready? We're in the book of Revelation today, actually reading from the last page of scripture, Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 17. This, of course, is apocalyptic literature. It's referred to as the apocalypse. Apocalypse, it means the unveiling, the revelation, the disclosure. God discloses things for his church so that his church might be ready. So we're in the last chapter of all of Scripture. All of Scripture is coming to a close. Some would say that we're living in the last chapter of history. This is one of the reasons why, if you go to the cinema, there are all kinds of apocalyptic movies to watch. It's the time that we live in. Last weekend, I quoted a politician, a local politician, who said, Hey, the moral fabric of our society, he was referring to Burnaby and New Westminster, the moral fabric of our society is coming undone. Everyone is reeling. Everyone is feeling it. Well, that is apocalyptic language. That's the language of someone in distress. That's the language of someone that sees dark times on the horizon. In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hate crimes, in the midst of the uncertainty, we long for a new day. In the book of Revelation, it points us to Jesus. It shows us how to live in our day and how to prepare for the next. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. We will read the last words of Jesus this morning. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If you read through the whole chapter, Revelation chapter 22, three times Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Surely, I am coming soon. The background of that language is the wedding ceremony, the Jewish betrothal, the wedding ceremony, the marriage feast. And so you have to keep that in mind as you read these words of Jesus. At a first century Jewish betrothal, the the bridegroom would leave his father's home and go to the home of the bride-to-be. At that home of the bride-to-be, he would pay a price, a bridal price. He would pay the bridal price and then they would enter into a covenant. It was much more serious than an engagement in North America. It was a binding agreement. Bridegroom and bride were committed. They were betrothed, just waiting for the time of their marriage. The bridegroom would then return to his father's house. Sometimes the betrothal period was only 12 months. Sometimes it was longer. But while the bridegroom was in his father's house, he would be preparing the future home of he for he and his bride. Jesus... Our bridegroom has come to our home. Jesus, the bridegroom, says to our, his bride here, I am coming soon. If we go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, we read, the angel says, here the angel says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. The time is near. The time is near. If we think of the great big events in the gospel story, we think of creation. We think of the fall of humanity. We think of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the next big event in the story is the return of the bridegroom, the second coming of Jesus. The words here are, the time is near. Hearing these words, a Jewish reader would go back to, his mind would go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. And there we read this, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. When Daniel receives his vision, you know that it speaks to another time. Time will pass. Knowledge shall increase. Wait. The time of the vision is not now. When John receives his vision, the language changes radically. What the the angel says to John is the time is near. What has changed? What has changed? Well, the groom has come. Jesus came, our bridegroom. He came. He lived among us. He died. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the purchase price. He paid the bridal price. A new covenant was established between the bridegroom and the bride, the shed blood of Jesus. That was the price of (laughs) the bridal price. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we enter into a new covenant with him. We're betrothed to him. We're part of his bride. At a betrothal, 
the bridegroom, he would offer to his bride a cup of wine. And then he would wait to see whether his bride-to-be would would take that cup of wine. If she drank from the cup of wine, then he knew that she was accepting the the bride price. Then he knew that she was entering into a covenant with him. Every time we come around the Lord's Supper, every time we celebrate communion, when we take the cup, we're saying to our bridegroom, we accept the price that you paid. We accept your death on the cross on our behalf. We say yes, we accept it, and we are committed to you. We are covenanted to you. We will remain faithful. At his ascension, Jesus returned to his father's home. He's already preparing the bridal chamber. He's preparing a place for us. We're just waiting for the betrothal period to pass. We're waiting for the marriage feast. We're waiting for the consummation of the marriage, his return. And Jesus, he could return for his bride at any time. The time is near. Now, you might say, well, it's 2017. 2,000 years have passed. Why has Jesus not returned? Well, Jesus has not returned because of his patience and his compassion. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should receive, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So if Jesus has not returned, it is because of his patience. It is because of his mercy, because of his compassion, because he desires that absolutely none perish. Who is this Jesus? In chapter 2, we read chapter 2 last weekend. In chapter 2, Jesus says to the church of Thyatira, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus is the righteous judge. He misses nothing. He discerns everything. And in verse 12, Jesus says, this is 22 verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. We don't use that word recompense a lot. It means reward, wages, payment. Jesus will reward the faithful. He will punish those who do not believe. And he says, behold, I am coming soon. Who is he? Who is this Jesus that is coming soon? In verse 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha, of course, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. If Jesus were speaking English, he would say the A and the Z. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. These two phrases basically mean the same thing. But the third phrase probably has a deeper meaning. The word for beginning is the Greek word arche. We get our words archetype, architecture from this word. Its basic meaning is that the beginning is the source of the series. It is the pattern of everything else in the series. 
Everything finds its source and its pattern in the beginning, Jesus. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. Everything finds its way of being in him. Everything is stamped with his character. Everything that exists owes its existence to him. He's the beginning. He's the creator. He's the beginning of history. He's not only the beginning, he's the end. Again, the original, it means, uh, it's, the word is telos, it means uh, uh, the ultimate purpose of all things. The purpose for which things were created. Jesus is the end. He is the inherent destiny of all things. All things point to him. And so if our lives are to have meaning, then we have our lives focused on Jesus. The truth is that Jesus is inescapable. He is both the beginning and the end. He is the one for whom all things were made. All things point to him. All of history is moving toward him, toward his glory. So he's the reason for the coming feast. Jesus says, I'm the source and the end of all things, and I am the reason for everything in between. Don't miss me. I'm the source and the end of all things, and the reason for everything in between. Often, as followers of Jesus, we, we believe in Jesus as Alpha, as the beginning. We say, okay, yes. All things began well. Jesus is the creator. We also believe in an end, in a heaven, that all things will end well. Where we doubt sometimes is when we live the letters in between. So if I'm li living the letter K today or the letter R today, is Jesus Lord over this moment? An economist, Nassim Tlaib, he refers to these difficult moments in history as black swan moments. The 9-11s, the financial crises, the pol surprising political shifts, broken relationships, a sudden discovery of illness. Is Jesus Lord over these moments as well? Well, when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the first and the last, I'm the beginning and the end, that's what he's saying. I'm not only Lord over the beginning and the end, I am Lord over every moment in between, and you can trust me no matter which moment you face today. Who is this Jesus that is coming soon? Jesus says in verse 16, I am the root and descendant of David. What does he mean by that? The root and descendant of David. Well, what he's saying is, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the one that was prophesied to King David when the word was spoken to David 1,000 years before my birth that someone from his lineage would always be on his throne, that his throne would be eternal, an eternal reign. I am that Messiah, that promised one. The language here in verse 16, the root and descendant of David, it comes right out of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so when Jesus says, I'm the root and descendant of David, he's saying, I am the Messiah prophesied through 
the prophet Isaiah. That word that was spoken 700 years before I was born, I did come according to the Father's plan in the fullness of time, at the exact time, the right time, born in time, born in Bethlehem, born to a virgin, born of the royal line of David. I am the Messiah. I did come and pay the bridal price. I have secured your salvation. I have secured for you a place at the marriage supper. Behold, I am coming soon. Who is this Jesus that is coming soon? He also says, I'm the bright morning star. Again, an image that comes from the Old Testament. It comes out of Numbers chapter 24. It's a messianic image. What Jesus is saying is, hey, the morning star, it appears in that moment during the night, the darkest moment, about 2 or 3 a.m., when it appears that the dawn will never come. But when the morning star appears, although faint, little, when it appears, you know that the dawn is coming, that the dawn is as sure as anything could ever be. It's just a matter of time until the dawn wipes the night away. I'm the morning star. I came, and with me, the new kingdom dawned. A new era began. I am the sign and evidence of God's new day. I am the pulling the kingdom in behind me. I am coming. It's as certain as the dawn. Behold, I am coming soon. Why would Jesus say this over and over again? Well, he wants us as his people to stay awake, attentive, attentive to our day, alert, saved from complacency and apathy. Jesus says in Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So the message is for us, the church, for our comfort and for our warning that we might stay alert. It's also so that we might be holy, so that we might not compromise. Remember the words of the Lord to the church in Thyatira. I am he who searches mind and heart. The call is for us to not compromise, to not accommodate. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, speaking of marriage, Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus gave his life for us. He paid the bridal price so that we might be holy, presented to him in glory, in splendor, set apart for him and him alone, so that we might walk as children of light. We may be living in a dark time, but the call is for us to walk as children of light and proclaim the good news to all that might hear on every corner of every city. The prophet Isaiah, he envisions the people of God as a city, the city Jerusalem, the people of God proclaiming good news to all other cities. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So as children of light, Jesus would have us proclaim to our cities, Burnaby, behold your God. 
Vancouver, behold your God. New Westminster, behold your God. Richmond, behold your God. Surrey, behold your God. He's coming soon and his recompense is with him. How do we know we are ready? At traditional wedding ceremonies around the world, people know how to dress. There is a certain way to dress in traditional cultures. It was no different at a Jewish wedding ceremony. People knew how they should be dressed. How do we get dressed for the wedding ceremony? How do we get ready for the wedding banquet? In verse 14, the blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of Jesus. How do we know this? Well, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the bridegroom. At the marriage betrothal, he paid the price. He shed his blood for us. He paid the price so that we might put our washed robes on. We cannot wash our own robes. We can never earn our salvation. Our salvation depends on Jesus having paid the price for our salvation, having shed his blood for us. That's what we just celebrated around the Lord's Supper. Jesus paid the price. And so if we are to have the robes that we need to be have our place at the marriage supper, we must have these washed robes on, robes washed only in the blood of Christ. Revelation 19.9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So do we have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do we have our washed robes on? Are we ready? The pinnacle of the wedding celebration was the marriage feast, and it was seven days long. It wasn't just this sit-down dinner that we often have in Canada with a few invited guests. No, it was a long celebration. Of, it was celebration, it was dance, it was music, it was food. You didn't want to miss it. And what Jesus is saying to us in Revelation chapter 22, behold, I'm coming soon. Don't miss this. Be ready. Be ready. Are we ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Verse 14 of chapter 22, it pictures our home as being a city. We live in a beautiful place. Metro Vancouver is located in a wonderful part of the world. Beautiful. But if we walk through the streets of our city, we know that we live in the midst of brokenness. We are not in heaven. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Here's the picture of heaven. Brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. 
For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The urban planning for this city is perfect. Right at the center of the city, the tree of life, Jesus himself. The giver of life at the center. Everything in the city reflects the glory of Christ. Everything glittering with inconceivable glory because Jesus is there. No need for a temple because Jesus is the very presence of God. He is among his people, the tree of life, and the leaves on his branches are for the healing of the nations. All peoples, people from every ethnic group, every cultural group, every corner of the world, they come to Jesus for life and healing. Now, it's interesting that the city also has gates. In in ancient cities, the gates were the locations for judicial proceedings. Judgments would happen at the gates. If you want to go through the gates of this city, at every gate you find Jesus. He is the gate. He is the door. He is the righteous judge. You will not find another religious figure at the gates to the eternal city. Jesus is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you read through this text, you notice in verse 15 that some are found outside the gates of the city. Why? There are dogs. Who are the dogs? Don't think of your playful pets that you love. The dogs in the scriptures are those that worship other gods, those that refuse to worship the true God. They are malicious persons. The sorcerers, they are those who are committed to evil. They've made a pact with the evil one. They worship Satan. The sexually immoral, they are those that reject the God-given parameters around sexual behavior. They reject the created order. The murderers, they refuse to recognize the sanctity of life. Idolaters, they worship other gods. Those that love and practice falsehood, they not only speak forth lies, they love the lying. They are committed to the father of lies. They are committed to the deceiver of the world. And so the list here, it represents those who just refuse to worship the true God. They refuse to accept what Jesus has done. They refuse the tree of life. They say no to the bridal price that was paid by Jesus. Now, how are we? as disciples of Christ, to respond. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the church. The Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, are to cry out in tandem, come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. You'll remember that the bridegroom, he would offer the bridal price to his bride. They would make a covenant. She would drink from the cup of wine. And then he would return to his father's home to prepare the bridal chamber. The betrothal, it would last for at least 12 months, sometimes longer. The day would come when he would return. Only the father and the groom knew the time of the return. What would happen before the bridegroom would appear is that he would send a messenger to the bride, hey, the time is coming. 
and the bride would prepare herself for his return. So she, the picture is of, the, of the, the bride in her room with her wedding gown on. She's waiting. She's anticipating the return of the bridegroom. Her bridesmaids are there. Her bridegroom approaches, and as her bridegroom approaches, this dialogue begins. And what the bride cries out is, Come, my beloved. Come, my beloved. I can't wait to be with you. So if we are disciples of Jesus, we're attentive. We've made ourselves ready. We have our robes on. They've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We're praying. The spirit within us calls out, come Jesus, come Jesus. We're praying for the Lord to come, to be with him. This is our prayer. This is our longing. And while we wait for him to return, we are telling all those around us that do not know Jesus, come. The marriage supper is going to happen. You don't want to miss it. Come to the one that can offer you living water. What's the invitation to the thirsty? Look at verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is the invitation of Jesus to the thirsty. It reminds us of John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus at the temple, crying out these words. John seven thirty-seven. on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is saying in the clearest way possible, if you are thirsty, if you are spiritually thirsty, then come to me. I have life for you. I have living water for you. Not only do I have living water for you, but if you come to me and drink of my living water, rivers of living water will flow out of you. You will have more than enough. You will be a blessing to those around you. And so come. If you are thirsty, come. This continues to be the invitation of Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, he continues to draw people to himself. And so if you are feeling drawn to Jesus this morning, if you have never given your heart to him, say yes to the invitation. Jesus is saying, come. Jesus speaks through the church throughout history. The invitation goes out through his disciples. Come. Come to the marriage banquet. Come to this living water. It is priceless. You'll never be able to pay for it. You can't earn your way to salvation. You can't earn your way to the marriage supper. You can't buy a spot. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price. And you enter by grace. So Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come. Come. What's Jesus saying to us this morning? Church, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Don't forget, I am the beginning, I'm the end. And I'm Lord over everything in between. I am the reason for everything in between. I am the one to whom all things are moving. I'm the point. All things will glorify me. Find your life in me. Be ready. I've gone to prepare a place for you. I've gone to prepare a city for you, just for you. Invite me to come back. In union with my spirit, call me back. Come, Jesus. And to those who are still thirsty, Jesus says to you today, come. Why don't you come? I've paid the bridal price. Come now. Don't wait till tomorrow. The day is today. 
The day is coming when my patience will give way to the cries of the church throughout history. The day is coming when my patience will give way to the cries of the martyrs. So come now. Today is the day. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for living among us, for showing us the Father, for taking our sin upon yourself and paying the bridal price. And Jesus, as your disciples this morning, we just declare to you again that we want to follow you. We want to be faithful to you. Lord, we stray, we sin, forgive us. Forgive us for our fears, our judgmental spirits, for our self-centeredness. Lord, draw us back to you by your spirit. May we walk in holiness for your glory. May we proclaim your good news wherever we are. May we live with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, yearning for your return, calling to you to come. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we live with. And now I want to pray for those that may have never given their their hearts to Jesus. If that's you this morning, if you're hearing the Holy Spirit invite you to come, then I would say to you, say yes and pray with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming for dying for me, I need you desperately. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I don't even understand myself many days. But I know that I'm broken and that I need healing, that I need life, and I can't do it without you. And so, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. I accept the price that you paid on the cross for my sin. And I invite you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. I invite your Holy Spirit to live within me, to give me the wisdom, the power, the strength to follow you. I commit my life to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, just a minute, we're not done. If you prayed that prayer... You can come forward and talk to me or go back to the Welcome Center. There are people there that would love to pray with you. We're going to end with the words from Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Say with me, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.